0: This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps, or should I say lovely labs. I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge. We're going to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, relationships, intimacy, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. Ooh, Hmm. can't help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we dive in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content in Nam, and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if you are ready, let's flap and do this.
1: <laughs>
0: oh my God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? Whatever. It's my podcast. I'm leaving it in. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up the couch. She's the lady allowed? Hello, hello, my labial love bugs. Welcome back to The Lounge, where today we'll be delving into the topic of beauty, body image, the male gaze, gender, and how all of these intersect in ways that we don't even fucking realize in our daily lives. My guest today, one Jesse Neeland, has been on the pod before. Uh, Back when I first started a couple of years ago, actually, so I'd highly recommend going and checking out that episode too, which was all about body image and body neutrality. Uh, And just to give you a rundown on Jesse, in case you haven't heard that one, Jesse is a queer and non-binary body image coach, speaker, and author of the book, Body Neutral, a revolutionary guide to overcoming body image issues very important, go check it out, (laughs) through a concept called body neutrality, which we cover in the other episode, the practice of consciously stripping our bodies of all false or inflated meaning, biases, and moral significance, Jesse is committed both to helping individuals feel more empowered, worthy, and confident in themselves and to advancing collective liberation and healing from systems of oppression. What? (laughs) Hello, <laughs> mad bio. That's a
1: big. Call. I just wrote that like ten minutes before I got on the call, so I'm glad that worked out.
0: <laughs> oh my lordy lord! Cool. All right, where do we even begin? Oh, well, welcome. Firstly, thank you. Welcome back. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so cool that you mentioned not only helping individuals, but also trying to, I guess, like shift the narrative on a larger scale with regards to like yeah the systems that we're living in because it's one thing to be like I don't need to like look beautiful and adhere to these beauty standards um but it's another to then go out into the world you know in your trackies and your shaved head or this and that and just be treated fucking shit you know and have all these assumptions Mm -hmm. about you and it's like oh I don't feel empowered and sexy and grounded in myself because
1: that hotel concierge treated me like I'm homeless you know Yeah. yeah, I think it has to happen on both fronts. I sometimes position it as like, we do need to heal. We need to heal individually. We all need to do this work. It's a cycle breaking, though, because once we do that, and we recognize and we start building a different world, like there will be a generation who doesn't have to do it anymore. Hopefully, mm. ideally, right? Like, it's so much of what we've learned and been conditioned to believe about what a person's body means about them that we then have to spend our whole (laughs) adulthood recovering from.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I think it's like, it's definitely... Happening in little subcultures, though, it's absolutely not happening in others where you can just bel- yeah. basically get Botox at fucking Seven <laughs> Eleven. But I have noticed in Melbourne, at least, which is quite a, like, you know, uh, progressive, lots of little alternative pockets um, sort of area. I've gone to a few parties and just been so confused because… I guess like my age bracket, what I've grown up with is like people very, very heavily curating your experience of them, their outfits, their hair, their Mm -hmm. makeup. The way they look is really thought out and you can tell they've put a lot of effort into it, even if it's putting effort in to make it look effortless. And then I've been to these, um, these parties with like a younger crew. And I've just, like, me and another friend who is also my age have just been looking around being like, what's happening here? Like, what's yeah. what's going on? You know how you kind of try to categorize or analyze, like, um, a group of of people and and w- their behavior. Uh, maybe that's just me being True. aughty, but like I know this <laughs> and stuff. Um, and we were really confused because we were just like, I don't get it. It seems like there's this new fashion that's happening where people don't give a fuck and they're wearing like really daggy, you know, outfits that don't seem like they've put a lot of thought into putting it together. And maybe that's the fashion. And then we we're like, wait or maybe they actually just don't care. And we started, like, noticing how people just seemed so comfortable and they were all being so lovely to one another. And not that this doesn't happen, you know, in right. other um, party environments, but it was really, really, like, beautiful to see in these, you know, this younger kind of generation in, like, northside hippie bubble Melbourne because sure. we were like, whoa, okay. this, is, You know, there was so much, like, gender fluidity. There was so much um expression without it being performative it was just like okay holy fuck this is this is maybe what it looks like when people are just like getting around authentically and not adhering to beauty standards and we who grew up in the 90s are like god they look so daggy (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: i i wonder i genuinely wonder like the younger generations have it both easier and worse like they've got Mm. such a different approach to gender expression and roles and sexuality and all this stuff that we did not have like they have such a more liberated and authentic view of certain things but they also have social media so, like, yeah. there is a whole other element to performativity mm. that we didn't have. So, it's, you know, it's a mixed bag. Totally. It probably just depends, like, who
0: you grew up with, what school you went to, what area, you know, like, it's yeah. like, what what are your friends doing and what's normalized in that space, basically. Um, all right. So, let's chat about a big, a big kind of concept that a lot of people are in denial about, <laughs> duty privilege and, and what this
1: means? Just give us the rundown. Yeah. So should I assume that people know what privileges in general, the listeners to totally. the show? I hope okay. so. <laughs> <laughs> if not, uh, it is, it is a type of privilege that is uh, sort of given to people who check enough of the conventional beauty norms or ideals or whatever kind of boxes um, meaning that people who check more of those boxes are going to have more beauty privilege. People who check less of those boxes are going to have less. And it's, of course, it's a spectrum like any of the hierarchies that we've got. Um, so it's not like an on-off switch. You have it or you don't. You can be located anywhere on the hierarchy. But the closer you are to the top, the more privileges you're going to be afforded, including things like opportunities. People might make more positive assumptions about you. Um, your intelligence, although that can also go the other way depending on what's uh-huh. going on and where you are. Um, and just a lot of kindness, warmth. People believe the best in someone that they see as attractive. And then on the other side of the hierarchy, we've got people who are facing specific discrimination, marginalization, violence, even based exclusively on how they look. So part of privilege is also just the absence of the disadvantages facing people who don't check mm. enough boxes. So there are their own benefits, and it's just part of like moving through the world without having your appearance be one of the things that causes challenges, violence, marginalization, etc. cetera. So, um, and this is super, you know, it depends on where like your culture is obviously going to inform this, like what the beauty ideals are. Gender definitely looks different on, you know, gendered beauty ideals, obviously body ideals, they're going to be different. Um, so it's a little bit hard to nail down. I think that's why people have a harder time understanding it, but it can also be understood the word lookism also applies, which basically means like, People who fit the ideals get treated better in society than people who don't.
0: Oh, I've never heard of lookism. Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people with beauty privilege probably don't realize they have it, whereas people without it probably notice it a fair bit
1: more, you know, because of how differently they're treated. Yeah. And that's true of any privilege, (laughs) to be fair. People at the top are like, I don't even know if that's a real thing. I've never noticed it. People at the bottom are like, well, let me tell you, it's real. But also, I think one of the interesting things is that a lot of the other beauty or sorry, a lot of the other body hierarchies that that afford someone privilege or disadvantage them, um, they're all sort of wrapped up in the beauty ones. Right? Like, for example, ableism, Mm -hmm. we are going to view able bodied people as more attractive. That fits the conventional ideal. We are going to view visibly disabled people as less attractive because it's further from that ideal. So, same with racism, right? Like, we've got a Eurocentric beauty ideal. So, Eurocentric looking faces are going to have that benefit and be closer to the top. Um, And because of that, it sometimes is sort of a non-issue because we've we're talking about those other really important systems of oppression and privilege, but it also is its own thing.
0: Mm, yeah, totally. It even it's even just um, popped into my mind. Like it's probably less about beauty and well, yeah. I mean, you tell me. But I've got friends who um, talk about how when they've got that when they've had dreadlocks. They get treated really differently because people assume they're a dirty hippie. You know, they they hmm. get checked by the police all the time for weed and blah blah blah. And then when they, um, you know, have shaved their heads or gotten rid of the dreads, they notice a really marked difference in how people treat them and the assumptions they make about them. So, I suppose that kind of ties into yeah the the. I guess the fact that people really do judge a book by its cover and they're categorizing you automatically and subconsciously, as soon as they look at you, they're kind of like yeah. clocking, you know, it's like me and my yeah. friend at this party being like, what's going on here? Who are like, who are these people? What are, what's their vibe? You know? Cause we are just yeah. confused and we want to be able to
1: make assumptions based on previous, you know, stereotypes yeah. or experiences. There's this thing going around right now on TikTok, um, That's like, you're not ugly, babe. You're just poor. And it's basically like to speak into the idea that anyone can be attractive, meaning like fit certain conventional ideals if they have enough money. Because at Mm -hmm. this point, the ideals are like it's super classist. It's fillers. It's Botox. It's like expensive hair extensions. And right. Like you can buy it at this point, a lot of people are buying it. So if you can't buy it, you're going to feel unattractive when actually what you might be is just of a class or income level that doesn't allow you to keep up with the Joneses. So there's, there's like a lot of stuff that plays into it in that way, where yes, yeah. people are looking for stereotypes and assumptions, um, usually without even realizing they're, they're doing it, you know,
0: yeah.
1: and people just respond sort of intuitively we like pretty stuff so if we've learned something is pretty and we respond positively to it we're not even aware we're doing it it's not like oh you yeah. you know you have nice bone structure i'm going to be nicer to you it's not a conscious <laughs> thought it's just like oh hi you know like we we just do it without even realizing it or without realizing the other factors that might be influencing that feeling
0: Oh, word, totally. So then another thing that might happen quite subconsciously is this concept of self-objectification. Where does this kind of happen for most people? What does that look like? Can you give us a rundown? Because I feel like that's happening a lot more and more really these days, especially now that you can literally just fucking alter your appearance in every way, shape or form you feel like it. You know, it must get harder not to self-objectify when everyone's doing
1: it. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So self-objectification is just an internalized view of yourself through the lens that you're a sexual object is usually what we're talking about. You can totally self-objectify for other reasons because objectification isn't inherently sexual. Like you could objectify a man for his money by thinking of him as like a resource to exploit, right? You're like stripping of him, stripping him of his humanity and sort of boiling him down Mm. to like one factor about him. That's still objectification. It's just a different kind. So usually when we're talking about this, we're talking about sexual objectification, which is usually facing girls, women, AFAB people, um, femmes who have learned under patriarchy that they are sexual objects and that in order to have worth, they have to be good at that job. Like that they're Mm. sort of owing the world a pleasant appearance or... um, you know, all the way up to like sexual gratification or just like ego stroking, caretaking, you know, that there's a lot of stuff that goes on under patriarchy that teaches women and femmes, you're not a whole human. You don't have the same like uh, worthiness for respect, dignity, and autonomy and full humanity as a man does. We still value you. You just have to fit this box, right? Like, you just, we will value you if you do a good job at the thing that we're telling you is your one good job, which is like to be hot. So, good luck with that. And then we internalize it. And because this is the world we live in, we don't think to ourselves, like, this is complete bullshit and oppressive. Usually, I mean, we might have that thought occasionally, but mostly we just grow up in the world and go, yeah, that makes sense. I should be hot. So then it becomes the way you view yourself. Yeah,
0: and, like, uh, one of the biggest ways that I kind of see this, which I definitely don't blame people for, is people are, I guess, maybe they're kidding themselves or maybe they're just not fully aware of, like, the underlying kind of systems of oppression that have created this in them, but they're kind of going, oh, but, like, I don't, you know, I, I... You know, wear this lingerie and do the fake tan and remove my pubic hair and do the things. But like, I do it for me because like it makes me me, feel good. It's for me. It's not for a man. It's not for the male gaze. Like I don't give a shit. I'm like, oh, honey, oh. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I, I am so passionate about this topic because, on the one hand, it is utterly possible, and I never want to discredit the fact that you could be doing literally anything for you. And I also think it's important to recognize the systems at play that alter what we perceive as comfortable, safe, desirable, preferable. So like, um and, and even just comfort, it can mean so many different things in the context. So for example, like Some people will say, oh, I just wear a bra because it's more comfortable. Well, that's totally fine. It doesn't mean that you're talking about physical comfort though. It can be a lot more comfortable to have your boobs sort of held down because it helps you avoid the feeling of overly exposed or sexualized in the world. Mm -hmm. That bra could physically be biting into your sides or like squishing you. It could be physically uncomfortable and still be the more comfortable choice. Yeah. Just like you could say... You know, I just feel more confident, or I just feel better when I have a full face of makeup on. It's because the context has made it so that you feel less anxious, or insecure, or afraid of judgment, or any number of things. Not because there is like we're not making the decisions in a vacuum. Yeah. So this is not a judgment. I believe fully in like make any and all decisions you want. There is no judgment on any decision a person makes for themselves or their bodies. I believe in full autonomy. And I think it's a much more interesting conversation when you're willing to acknowledge like, yes, this is for me, but what does that mean? Mm. Because where did I learn what I like or don't like what I'm afraid of or feel confident about, you know, those things are context informed.
0: Mm. Oh, totally. And it's really tricky to have this conversation in a nuanced way that doesn't feel like you're attacking or victim blaming or kind of, you know, get these people on the defensive. Cause like I get, I get exactly why it happens. I get why people, you know, enjoy adorning themselves. And that's a, you know, common argument people will make to me. It's like, oh, women have been adorning themselves with jewelry and makeup since like the beginning of time. And I'm like, yeah,
1: but how do you know that wasn't just to like attract (laughs) a mate? Like, (laughs) do you know, though, I actually, okay, so this is a non-research evidence-based thing I'm about to say. But <laughs> I have thought extensively about what it means to be masculine, feminine, uh, just a lot of stuff in the space of like, if a child is born wanting to adorn themselves of any gender, if it's a girl, mostly we just, it's not notable. It's like princess culture or whatever. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. <laughs> um, but if it's a boy, a lot of times that boy has had to go through so many freaking obstacles just to express the fact that like he likes bright colors and wants to wear jewelry or whatever it is mm. and does it anyway, which means there's some drive. And yeah. I wonder sometimes, like instead of masculine feminine, could we have maybe called this like the drive to adorn and the drive not mm. to adorn? You know, like mm-hmm. is there some innate drive that says I want to um, decorate myself? Because if there is, I don't think I had it. I did it for all of the reasons of coercion and pressure and whatever. But I know a lot of women who really do have it. And I know a lot of men who really do have it. And Mm, it feels really dumb that we would boil that down into gender and rob everyone of the opportunity to do or not do what they want. But that's obviously the framework we've been given.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I grapple with this because I feel like as a child, I was like very creative and crafty and I loved making, you know, bits of jewelry or costumes or clothing out of, you know, gum leaves and whatever shit that I found at a garage sale. And I think that was more a creative expressive side of me rather than, you know, wanting uh, to look attractive, but then Mm -hmm. who knows how young it can kind of creep in. And even now it's like, you know, we did a, I did an episode with some friends called Are We Bad Feminists? And it was all about like, (laughs) what if we enjoy kind of like getting ready or like putting on a nice dress or this or that. And it's like, I don't think there's any harm or shame in that. It's just important to understand and recognize like that, like you said, like these decisions and these urges to adorn ourselves or make ourselves look a certain way, they don't happen in a vacuum. It is generally stemming from a desire to be, Attractive or to feel confident and comfortable, and we only feel confident and comfortable because, like, you know, we're looking our best or where we've put effort into our appearance and we've curated how people are going to perceive us.
1: Yeah, I actually, um, I definitely, like, I said, like, I don't think there's any bad feminists, there's no bad body, you know, positive or neutral people, whatever, like, these decisions. Do what you want. does not matter. Um, But I, at this point, have done enough work to completely dismantle what these things mean about me that if I were to put on like a super femme outfit, like sometimes I'll do makeup or, you know, hair extensions or an outfit or whatever. And when I do it, it feels like I'm putting on a costume and there's fun in that. If I'm in the Mm. mood to wear drag, that's what I'll do. And it's enjoyable because I know I'm wearing drag. What it used to be was, like, this is just literally how I have to present myself or else people Mm. will think I'm weird or gross or ugly or whatever. And it it comes from a much more, like, childish, creative place, I think, of, like, I want to play dress-up sometimes. And sometimes that's masculine and sometimes that's feminine. But, like, it's all fake. And I enjoy all of it at different moods, you know? And I think that Mm. it's kind of like with kink stuff, too, where, like, if you – are grappling with, do I have this fantasy because of some trauma I had or, or is it okay? Like the answer can be both. You can be like, yep, that might not have come from a great place, you know, for whatever reason. But if it's what you got, there's no reason not to play with it in a safe, healthy and consensual way. Like enjoy what you like and maybe be aware of, hmm, that could have come from a problematic place.
0: That's such a great analogy to use. Yeah, it's not as important about the origins if you can find a way to enjoy it. And I think, like, yeah, that comparison between like play, expression, dress ups versus I have to don these, you know, this outfit. I have to do all of this stuff just to be... Or else. (laughs) (laughs) Or else. Um, And I'm not worthy otherwise or no one's going to, like, look twice at me or I won't be able to... I mean, a big one is, like, sure, it's all very well, you know, to say that you don't care about this stuff, you're not going to put effort into appearance or, like, dress for anyone else. Um, But then the people that are single and wanting to, like, quote, unquote, attract a Mm -hmm. partner, like, what about them? I'm just thinking of, like, some common questions or, like, topics that I get, you know, that I hear in this realm is, like, oh, but, like, you know, I'm single and, like, sure, I don't want to, like, attract a person who's vapid or only cares about appearance however just based on like the context in the world that we live in like that does actually matter whether the other person is realizing or not that they're you know they're picking up on whether they're attracted to us or not based on all of these external things um And, you know, they they just don't want to be treated differently or they don't want to lose some of that beauty privilege because it gives them an advantage when heading out into the world to find a partner. Like the word attractive is literally like, you know, It it requires another person to be – so what what would you say like if we're – because I think people get defensive when I'm like, yeah, (laughs) it's not like I'm attacking their decision to, you know, get lip fillers or, Mm. you know, put on makeup every time they leave the house or whatever. I fucking get it. But I'm just trying to bring awareness to like why they're doing that and do they want to continue living their lives feeling like they have to do that. Um, And it's like they get really defensive. They don't want, you know – I guess it's terrifying to think like, oh, but what would happen if I didn't do it? And will I still be able to attract a partner when we are living in such a like vain kind of
1: aesthetic driven world? Yeah. So what comes up for me around that is it, it depends on the cost and the benefit of the strategy you're using. Because I believe they don't come into my sphere very often because of my work, but like, I believe there are people out there who could do a a pretty significant portion of like curating beauty labor, all that stuff without much of a cost. Like maybe they don't feel insecure. They just like doing it, or maybe they're happy to keep doing it forever. And they're not worried about needing to like break free from the anxiety of, uh, you know, obligation or whatever. But for the people that I work with, a lot of times they're coming into me with a huge cost, the cost of feeling Mm. Deeply undeserving, deeply un fundamentally unworthy, wrong, bad, broken, any number of things. So, like, if it comes with a really high cost, then I would just challenge: like, is the benefit worth it? That you maybe mm. get some more people to notice you and therefore keep your dating pool open a little bit wider, at the cost of literally feeling like you're okay in the world. I don't know. I mean, everybody gets to decide. Mm. But I will say that the more we avoid the things that make us anxious or afraid, the more power that fear has. So like if yesterday you went out without makeup, it's probably not going to feel that scary to think about doing tomorrow, even if you wear makeup today. If it's been 20 years since you've left the house without makeup, it might feel to you on like a visceral level like the world would end if you did it. The longer Mm. we go without challenging our fears, the bigger those fears get and the more power they have over us. So in some ways, I also like to challenge people just to go through the process of checking, you know, like just, just notice if you break one of these rules, do you feel like you're going to die? Because that is a pretty significant thing to know about the role that this Mm -hmm. behavior is playing in your self-worth and your sense of safety and security. Um, and that's probably something you don't want to keep. You probably do want to face that fear, not necessarily so you never wear makeup again or whatever, but so that it becomes something that doesn't have that much power over you. Yeah, I also totally. believe wholeheartedly that the anxiety created when you present a certain way that does not feel sustainable or authentic to you in the beginning when you are dating, you are setting yourself up, if it goes well, best case scenario, for a lifetime of insecurity. Let's say you've just dieted your face off because you went through a breakup or something. You're at your thinnest weight. You fall in love with the most magical person who really loves you for who you are. You are now going to have to spend however long it takes in the rest of this relationship wondering, now that I have my weight coming back up to a more regular place because I happened to be in that very thin body, are they less attracted to me? Nothing they ever do or say will be able to take this fear or worry or consideration away. And likewise, if you're like on, you know, date one and you never do this, but you're like really femmed up or whatever, like trying to look your best, um, by the time they see your natural face on date three, date five, overnight, whatever it is, like you will feel terrified. It will feel so stressful. And if it doesn't, obviously that doesn't apply here, but like a lot of people do. Um, Similarly, if you put up all your best photos on a dating app and then you go to your first date and you're so scared they're going to be disappointed, if you just put up photos that look like you, maybe you wouldn't have gotten this date. And that tells you something, right? That tells you something important. Yeah. Yeah. And also there is something to the fact that some people have so few opportunities that if they were to not curate, they might not have any options. So Mm -hmm. it's nuanced. And again, there's no right or wrong way to do it. But when I work with people Mm -hmm. in these situations, like a lot of times it is Setting yourself up to feel incredibly insecure for a long time to feel confident Mm. in the short term. Hey, baby babes. Sorry to interrupt. I just had to pop my head into the lounge here and
0: mention another virtual lounge that I'd love you to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. There you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies, behind the scenes, or discounts for offerings from guests who have been interviewed on the podcast. There'll also be Hopefully, inspiring, thought-provoking conversations and support from a community of labial legends like yourself. My vision for this is that it becomes a really supportive, educational, and hilarious resource for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes or look up the Labia Lounge group in Facebook and I'll see you in there. And now back to the episode. Yeah. Oh my god. It reminds me like a really kind of minor example of this because I think I caught it really early and nipped it in the bud was like when I was in year nine, I was like getting up stupidly early every day, spending two hours, like doing my hair, my makeup, you know, wearing funky earrings, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, to go to fucking high school and I just remember (laughs) getting to a point where I was like, this is ridiculous and I don't want – actually my reasoning behind it, it's so funny. I was like, oh, I don't want to – like, be at a boy's house and then wake up in the morning and then see me without my makeup and feel like shit and be like, oh my God. That's exactly and my it. other thing was like, and when I go to a party and I want to adorn myself and I want to look extra special and like get ready with the girls and blah, blah, blah. I want it to be extra special. I don't want to be looking extra special every day at school. So that's the baseline. And everyone's just like, you yeah. know, I want to look regular at school. And then when I choose to look extra special, it's like, wow, you know, and I don't want the baseline to just be this thing that I have to maintain because it's taking so fucking long and then I don't know if people actually, you know – yeah, I, I didn't want people to be treating me differently because I looked yeah. like that day to day. I wanted people to know exactly how I looked. So I just, in year nine, stopped wearing any makeup or doing anything yeah. to my appearance. Um, And it was so confronting at first. I was like, that first day going into school without, and like I didn't wear that much makeup, like, you know, a bit of mascara yeah, yeah. and stuff. Like I never, it was a long time ago when I grew up in the country. Like it wasn't like it is today where they're literally telling like 18-year-olds to get Botox preventatively. Right. And then you have to get Botox for the rest of your fucking life. God forbid you get like a bloody line on your forehead for <laughs> smiling. So it's like it was way chill back then, but I already started sensing like, ooh, yeah. I don't want to be a slave to this. Like the beauty yeah, labor, which we we'll talk about. It's so fucking my, you know. And like, however, I mean, my like other versions of how I – Uh, fell victim is like I was super, super self-conscious about my body hair and I just used to go through hell removing that through all different means until eventually after like so many fucking ingrown hair scars and pustules on my bikini line, I went and got laser hair removal basically over my whole body for like six years. I was going every six weeks and getting lasered and it was the most painful yeah. shit I've ever felt. It was like, you know, my pussy lips were fucking peeling afterwards sometimes. Yep. It was just like, what the f- fuck and so I get it like I totally get it and I also I feel like I can't fucking talk about this because I do have the privilege of fitting into a lot of the conventional beauty standards you know and I still fucking felt completely like powerless to to go against
1: them like I had to you know so anyway that's my (laughs) rant. I think the automatic assumption with privilege in general like it's always assumed you should be trying to climb to the top of the hierarchies that that is the goal that is the admirable and right thing to do if not like a forced choice because of any number of reasons um and so people are always trying to gain beauty privilege by improving their appearance right nobody's like i'm just trying to stay and look about the same as i always do that's not like a really a choice that anyone talks about because at that point it's a nothing like you're just existing but Most people are trying to climb the ladder and there are so, so, so many ways we can do this now. Thanks technology for making it like an absolutely endless (laughs) since we were in high school. There's so many more ways you can do it now. Um, But Because of that, I think you do end up becoming a slave to it. Like, that's what happens. Not for everybody, just like doing hard drugs doesn't make everybody an addict. But like, there is a statistical likelihood that the more you engage in those behaviors, the more you will feel like... If I were to lose this, I would lose something important about who I am. I would lose yeah. um, the attention or validation or respect or opportunities or people would love me less or, you know, it's like it starts to become really scary. That's how we do it. It's because we reached above where we would normally be if we just showed up. And mm. then we got stuck trying to defend our position there.
0: To maintain that. Yeah.
1: It's so hard to maintain and it's so exhausting. And your example with the like mascara is exactly what I had to go through the same thing in my 20s to be like, shit, man, I feel like so anxious about a guy finding out that I have like a regular human face. And again, I wasn't wearing that much either. Thank God, because nowadays it's totally (laughs) different. But like (laughs) the thought of him seeing me without mascara made me want to cry. And like that should – mascara should not have that much power. And I was like, all right, yikes, you know. Um, Mm. And I'll give you another example too because when I was 19, I dyed my hair blonde. I've done all kinds of whack stuff to my hair, but I dyed it blonde. And a very particular kind of man was into me when it was blonde and um, very different than my normal – I connected with men – who I would never have connected with, who would not have been attracted to me, who would not have made certain assumptions about me, which by the way, were all oh. lies. Nobody, <laughs> nobody was seeing the real me in this moment of my life, but that's fine. Um, but yeah, so I connected with a different kind of guy and then, uh, I felt. Like, oh my God, first of all, my hair was falling out. So I had, I knew I had to change it at a certain point. I was like, all right, I have done some serious damage. I'm gonna have to cut off a huge amount of this length yeah. and probably die dark. And like this experiment failed. But I was so anxious because I knew that like they didn't know what I looked like. They knew drag me. They knew costume yeah. me. And I and I was right. They all fell away when it became like, uh, this is what I actually look like. And that yeah. should never be the case. But you don't realize in the moment that you're attracting the wrong people, different people, people who are interested mm-hmm. in like a version of you that they are projecting and isn't real. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. good for us in the long run. It's not good for our relationships, but it feels like abundance. It's just like, fake abundance it's diet abundance you know yeah oh totally yeah it's it's like more obvious
0: for people that like often change their appearance or change their hair or you know like my friends who cut off their dreads like or uh friends female friends who have shaved their heads like they Mm -hmm. all talk about how it's really fascinating how Quickly, like there's just this immediate like different way people treat them, and yeah. they notice that. Whereas, like I guess I've kind of never really changed my appearance much my mm. my life, so I haven't yeah. really noticed that. But um, yeah, so men were
1: super combative with me when I had a buzzed head. Like I seemed to annoy them just for existing. Mm. Couldn't be further from the opposite from long blonde hair at 19. So like these things do impact the way that you're being perceived, the way you're being treated, what you're bringing out in other people. And again, none Mm. of that is innately like prescriptive. It's okay to just do whatever. You can totally pick the one that makes people nice to you. There's no judgment in that choice. It's just that I think when, again, the cost versus the benefit, like when we really think about well, what is that choice costing you? A lot of times it costs way more than we realize, and it's not actually benefiting us the way we think.
0: Oh my God, totally. Well, let's segue into beauty labor then, because that's like part of the cost. It's like not only is there an emotional cost, but the upkeep, it's time, it's fucking money. We it's already money. get paid less than men, yeah. and we're spending a fuckload more just to, you know, feel worthy for men so like let's chat about like some things that yeah. maybe people haven't realized because it's like I feel like it creeps in you know you start you start yeah. waxing your legs when you're young you start using mascara and then you got to have the toner and then you got to have the fucking 50 layers of like I literally don't even know because I don't really wear makeup and I make all my own skincare and I literally oh nice. that's funny. You soap. I have like a face oil that I make and that's literally fucking it um, so when I see people's beauty regimes, I am gobsmacked Yeah, and that's just like, that's just non-invasive, you know? And then it just layers and layers and layers. And by the time they're in their twenties, maybe they're doing like 20 different things, you know, and spending money on all of these different things just to maintain yeah. this particular appearance. So like, I'd love you to chat about, yeah, what goes into, <laughs> what goes into, um, I guess like staving off the insecurity. <sighs>
1: Oh, God. Uh, That's a huge question. Um, Well, I will say that one of the things I think is a common misconception around beauty labor is that a lot of people will be doing things that I would consider beauty labor because I'm really just putting the whole thing in a big umbrella category of stuff we do to increase our status through our appearance. Mm -hmm. That's huge. Mm -hmm. That's a huge category. And technically, some stuff in there you know, like brushing your teeth might fit under that category and also just be about something else entirely, like not wanting bad breath or, you know, like wanting good dental health. Like it can be one foot in the category and one foot out. Lots of stuff is. But what I think happens is because people don't associate certain patterns of behavior with attractiveness, they associate it with, let's say, health, or they might associate it with um, professionalism. So they're not thinking, "I want to be hot. That's why I'm doing this." They're thinking, "I want to maintain a healthy body. That's why I diet and exercise and do all these things. Um and that could be totally true. Again, it could be one foot in one foot out of the category. Um, although a lot of weight stigma makes these things seem <laughs> like they're related when they're not. And then another example would be like a woman with a, a woman of color who might straighten her hair to look professional. And doesn't feel more attractive with it that way. It's just like what I have to do to, you know, be seen as professional. So Mm. I consider all of it. All of it is under the category because it's about increasing status through your appearance one way or the other. So there's a lot of stuff in it. There's no judgment of any individuals. Obviously, hair and makeup are huge. At this point, skincare has taken off. I just finished this book about um, Korean beauty ideals. It was utterly horrifying. (laughs) And like, you know, seven to 10 steps, skincare oh routines and, yeah. um, the contour, my God, the kids with the contour, I bought a contour stick to try to figure out what was happening. And I probably spent hours just looking at it, trying things, lo- watching the videos and just being like, I'm, I don't, is, am I too old to understand <laughs> contour?" I just was curious because oh literally what they're doing is sculpting. It's art and it's fascinating. Anyway, so like doing all of these things, there's so many layers at this point. Mm. And like you said, there's also more invasive procedures, treatments, you know, Botox, filler, skincare, laser. I got the laser hair removal as well. I mean, talk about how freaking expensive, time-consuming, and painful that all was. And it then I regretted a- it later when I was like, oh, I want to be one of those people who just like have a bush under my arm or whatever, like, and I can't now. I'm- um, oh my God, but totally. It's all of it. It's teeth whitening, right? It's like, it, it's it's the whole package of the thing. And we often don't realize we're doing it because some of it is one foot in this category and one foot in self-expression or one foot in this category and one foot in health. So it's one of those things, I think it does make people feel defensive because they they feel like they're being accused of trying to be hot, which would make them superficial or vain. But a lot of times all they're trying to do is gain a little bit of status through their appearance. And there is a lot, a lot of labor that can go into that, especially for women and Mm. femmes, although honestly more and more for everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, eating disorders among men is so rife as well. Yeah, and I think like the, the thing that I don't like seeing is Uh, I guess like judgment or vitriol being directed at, you know, like quote unquote cake face, like like all these really derogatory ways that we talk about women who obviously have, you know, either underlying insecurities or they just feel like to be, you know, accepted or attractive or worthy um, to take up space in this world, they have to do all these things. And it's like, okay, but like she is a victim of the patriarchy here. Like even fucking I saw a cool post yesterday about, valentine's day is saying something like hey by the way like just just so you're you're all aware um women didn't like traditionally start asking for like jewelry as a gift because we're fucking magpies and like it, you know collecting shiny things yeah. we did it because we weren't allowed to have money or bank accounts yes. or property, so we would ask yes. for gifts
1: that we could quickly convert to cash if we needed to because we pass to on to, to our daughters because yes. we can't have money yeah yeah so it's all
0: still stemming from like you know the patriarchy the male gaze our our desire just to get some level of like equality or recognition or
1: or status or power um yeah yeah yeah, exactly oh god (laughs) totally yeah and i also feel like there's i mean there's so much judgment on every side of this right like the same men who are like She's lying if she's wearing too much makeup, like she's trying to trick you are also going to be the ones who uh, tend to go for a higher status woman with more beauty privilege. So it's, you know, it's like the sexism and misogyny is on every angle. That's why I feel so strongly like the decisions don't matter. Do whatever you want. But I invite everybody to consider where they come from and what they have as an impact on you and maybe what they have as an impact on other people because the more of us who do the same behaviors, the more normalized that becomes. And now the standard has been raised and now if you don't do that behavior you are a part of a subversive weirdo group and everybody's going to be like you look sick today you know like <laughs> the more of us who break the rules the less we participate in that being normalized but also not everybody can not everybody should and that's totally fair too
0: yeah yeah absolutely um so in our L- previous episode that we did together, we already did a get pregnant and die. So I'm not going to ask you for another sex ed anecdote. People can go back and listen to that. That was a good one. Um, But do you have a fresh TMI
1: story for us?
0: TMI, we love it. TMI, we love it.
1: About what? I have so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Literally anything that pops to mind. Maybe it's about what we're talking about. Like my TMI probably was, you know, just all of the hair removal strategies that Mm. I used that resulted in scarring (laughs) and years of pain and depleted savings.
1: (laughs) I don't know that I have any in this area anymore. I think that's kind of the thing. Like at this point, I mean, I'll still spend the money or do the whatever sometimes thing if I'm in the mood. I just bought blue hair extensions, which are a total fail um, <laughs> because because in the picture that I bought, they were curled. And so I was like, oh, you know, even if they come straight, you can curl them. Look at my hair. I'm not straightening my hair for blue hair extensions. <laughs> I wanted to just put a little clip in. Um, yeah. Anyway, they didn't curl. They're like made of oh, no, what no. I have to imagine is really cheap plastic and that didn't work yeah. out. So Ooh. now I just have a bunch of pretty... Blue, nothing. Spaghetti on my floor, actually, right over here. It's not really a TMI, but, but it is a your true fact. Like <gasps> earrings or something. Like That's actually earrings. yes, because yeah. they're thin strips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Do a that. really fun Do idea. Ooh, use them in a craft project. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally.
0: Um, all right. Well, before we like move on from the topic of beauty labor, I just wanted—I just remembered something I wanted to mention because I love the way that you talk about the fact that we are often really afraid to, like, stop doing all of the beauty labor because we're scared of what will happen if we cease to maintain this very carefully curated appearance and, um, you know, rather than focusing on what we could gain um, from that and, like, how empowering, how liberating, how, you know, potentially – we could be experiencing some really positive outcomes in like ceasing to have to spend all of this like time and money and like literally like brain space, you know, just all like we're, we're using a lot of our capacity on trying to curate our appearance. And, um, And we're very afraid of what will happen if we stop. But, like, you know, you highlight that actually there can be some really fucking positive and empowering outcomes that can come of this. So, like, do you want to talk a little bit on that just to maybe encourage people to be like, it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. Like, there can be really good things that come of it if you start to maybe like
1: scale it back a little bit? Yes, 100%. So, in order to talk about that, I want to just name. That confidence is one of those words that we have an idea of what it means. And it's basically a feeling. It's a feeling of like pleasure. That's kind of what we think of it as. It, not exactly pleasure, but it, it's a really good feeling that we get about ourselves. And when we define it that way, we miss the context, like we were talking about before. And the context is incredibly important because usually the feeling comes from a thought. And the thought is, I check enough of these boxes today to be worthy of feeling good. So it's an assessment. It's not actually a feeling, although it does give us a good feeling because we've just assessed ourselves positively. It's almost always, if it's about your look, it's, I look good enough to feel good today. It could be about anything though. Like I feel so confident because I believe that, I don't know, uh, whatever the thing at work is like that I'm good at that job, right? It's an assessment and then a lot of that feeling is super temporal because it's based on something very short term. It's not innate about who you are as a person or even your skill set a lot of times. Um, Like it it could be, you could have genuine confidence about how you do your job at work. But a lot of times people describe it as like, oh, I was feeling super confident because I just nailed this thing and gotten positive feedback. So they're describing a very short term <laughs> experience of having assessed themselves positively according to often an oppressive hierarchy or just external validation. So that's what we think confidence means. Is it any freaking wonder that we assume we have to like claw our way up a hierarchy to get more of it? No, it makes total sense. It's just wrong. <laughs> it's, as we've talked about, clawing your way up actually comes with a lot of insecurities, a lot of bad relationship stuff because you're drawing the wrong people to you. And I would say also, it gives you a false sense of security about people's character or like Um, sort of standing or how much they respect or like you. Kind of like we understand like uh, a super rich kid doesn't know if he really has friends or not because Mm. maybe people are using him for his money, right? We have this cultural trope around money. It's the same thing around beauty. If you are doing a ton of labor to climb this hierarchy and feel good about yourself, you also are going to attract people who are there to objectify and exploit you or people who would be very disrespectful of you or dismissive or whatever other thing if you looked different. But you won't know that because you did the work to get into this privileged position. So one of the biggest benefits of scaling back beauty labor is making people kind of show their true color and character a little bit. And this allows you to find out much faster if someone is a dick or not basically. If someone is going to be fat phobic and you are forcing yourself into a smaller body with an eating disorder or obsessive dieting or whatever, then you never find out that your boss is kind of fat phobic or going to be a jerk about it or going to be really inappropriate about it. It makes people reveal themselves. And that is a good thing. It's uncomfortable, but it is positive for you in the long run because it means you get to be way more selective about the people that you spend time with. And ultimately, you're going to be bringing the right people to you because they're people who genuinely respect your humanity. And similar with all of these things, I think um, it's just that when you are not relying on privilege and external validation and all of these things in order to feel good about yourself, you also kind of have to figure out who you are and what you feel good about from an authentic place. It's kind of why, like, sometimes when you say, um, like, a good looking person with a good personality. And they're like, oh, I I wasn't good looking till adulthood, right? Like I I was forced to build a personality first. Like that's one of those things as well that we have as a trope that's like, you wouldn't need to bother being funny or kind or interesting if you were good looking your whole life. And there's some truth to it. It's not obviously prescriptive. It's not everybody. But there's so much more that you learn about yourself when you're not relying on That being your identity, that being your source of Mm. worthiness or confidence, like you just both have to and get to go build those things on something more authentic about yourself, which makes you a richer person, your life richer and better, your relationships better. Like it ends up being, while it can be certainly uncomfortable and confronting to find out that someone in your life mm, is disrespectful, who maybe you didn't know that before, like If they Mm -hmm. think you're hot and want to sleep with you and they're very complimentary about you all the time and then you stop wearing makeup or you buzz your head or something and now they're a jerk to you, like that sucks. That's a really unpleasant thing to experience. But it also gives you information that ultimately you want and ultimately makes your life better. So there's a lot, a lot that leads to actual, authentic, empowered confidence when you step away from the labor. It's just not how we're taught to think of what confidence means.
0: Totally. And it kind of, I mean, I've got lots of, lots of things to say. after Finn trying to jot down notes yeah. to remind myself, but like, you know, the kinds of compliments that we give kids, all fucking appearance based, especially for little girls. It's like always yeah. about like their hair or their dress or their nail polish so cute, or like, so oh my God. Yeah, and so, you know, the kinds of compliments that people give you when you're in the dating world, for instance. Just pay attention to that. Are they all based on your yeah. appearance? Are they all based around your body? Like, do you exactly. feel like, you know, if if all of that beauty were to just disappear, would they still be there? And yeah. what would they be complimenting you on or noticing? And like that that trope of of like, you know, you having having to be the funny one or develop a personality yeah. because the looks aren't there, like, you know, another version of that that I hear it sometimes. Which like I've thought was a really funny thing at the time, but now I'm like, oh God, it's really sad that that's even, you know, like there, must. I think there is some truth in it, but like I got girlfriends that are like, yeah, I love chubby guys. They try way harder in bed, you know? Um, It's a thing for women as well. I've heard that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, and I've also kind of like thought like sometimes I'll make, I kind of make uh, assumptions based on this stuff, but kind of in the opposite opposite way like if there's like a really attractive person um guy I'll just be like oh I bet he's fucking basic I bet he's so boring because he's so hot that he's never had to actually try and no one's ever said no to his dick before and Mm -hmm. he actually doesn't really have any reason to like be a lovely deep person There is some truth
1: to that (laughs) not always not everyone but there is not always yeah also I used to work As a personal trainer, I saw some of these men with, you know, 8-packs and 10-packs just like so jacked, so beautiful models and whatever. And I I also saw how they spent their time. And it was not necessarily uh, the kind of way that would lead to a super interesting partner. (laughs) Like Because when you care that much about how you look, when you're putting that much in, it takes a lot of other space and fills it. So... How interesting can you be if you spend three to four hours in the gym every day?
0: Totally, totally. And, you know, when you have been so privileged with looking attractive and getting this, like, really positive response from people from a young age and you notice, like, the people that did only become conventionally attractive in their adult life and maybe they were, like, yeah. a chubby teenager or whatever, they're fucking legends and they're actually so surprised at getting attention yeah. all of a sudden that they, like, don't even know what to do with it because they aren't expecting yeah. it. They're not feeling entitled it's Less to entitled, it. exactly. Yeah, and it's really yeah. – um. It's really interesting because, like, I definitely do see this with, like, people that have just been hot their whole lives, especially, you know, white men. Like, they are – Like Not all of them, but a lot of them, yeah, just haven't really had the kind of like trials and tribulations or um, been sort of squeezed through a crucible to the point where they've had to develop depth and communication skills and, you know, lots of respect for women and and consent and stuff. Excuse this quick interruption. I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab and the more people who get to hear it, the more people are. I can help with it. Reviews and ratings actually do make a big difference to this little independent podcaster. Um, And it's really easy to just quickly show your support by taking that simple act of either leaving five stars for the show on Spotify, or even better, writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're a real overachiever, you can do them both. That would be mad. If you're writing a review, though, just be sure to use G-rated words because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't make it through the gates. Lame. Anyway, I would personally recommend doing that right now while you remember just to get on top of it and let me know you're with me on this journey. Thanks, gang. Enjoy the rest of the epi. Yeah, something that I kind of – I loved that you were saying, you know, you gain this, I guess, actually true, authentic confidence when you know that someone's responding to you rather than your personality. Yeah. And that's, like, you know, going to give you peace of mind that people are there for you, not for, like, you know, this body yeah. that you've tried to, like, um, sculpt and that's obviously yeah. going to be unsustainable, especially, like, if you want to have kids one day. Um yeah, I kind of talk about my, <laughs> some of my adornments, which are like, well, my spectacles, basically. I, I wear glasses mm-hmm. and I have like massive, like big chunky frames and dorky old frames. Oh. And I mean, that's actually become really trendy now in Melbourne. Yeah. So, for me. <laughs> but like, I've been wearing them long before they were fashionable. <laughs> that's funny. And, you know, that I always refer to them as my dickhead filter because. You know, right. it's, it's a fucking Not thing. now, now and, that you are
1: accidentally trendy, it won't work anymore, but it would have before. I, I love that. <laughs> I know, I know.
0: Um, and, and it's really important to me to like, like I'm almost curating my appearance in a way that's acting as a repellent or a dickhead filter, not for my, you know, <laughs> not yes. to be more attractive to people. Oh,
1: uh, I love this so much. Right.
0: Kind of people. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and you know, like I, I, I still, I recognize my privilege. Like I, I feel like, you know, my body size and shape and everything definitely is pretty much your standard right. conventional, like, and people compliment me on that a lot. So I know that I must be somewhat attractive, you know, yeah. I'm not like denying that. However, that makes it even more important that I, that I have these dickhead totally. filters because people are going to, like, see me and make assumptions or, like, people that I don't want to be attracted to me are going to, you know, yeah. come at me. And, like, if I've got the big specs on and the dorky clothes or, like, the baggy clothes or, you know, and the no makeup and stuff like this, um, that's one dickhead filter and, and I really value that. The other one that is less about appearance um, and that a lot of my friends kind of balk at and they're like, oh, my God, I can't believe you said that. Like, I would never say that. Oh, my God, you're going to scare him off. And I'm like, I'm um, yeah. good, is when I'm like intensely, transparently communicative and I talk about my boundaries. I talk about my needs. I fucking I talk do about, this like,
1: too. Yeah. It is it's a game-changing like people don't know. <laughs> like They're like, you're going to scare him off, and I'm like, good. If he's that kind of yeah. guy, I want him out of here right now. I don't want to waste my time on him. It's fucking ah! that.
0: we spend, like, enough time trying to navigate and manage like fragile male egos honestly I can't be fucked if they can't have a really raw conversation with me and I can't be like oh hey like no and it's only our like second date I'm not ready to have sex with you like it takes me ages to feel really comfortable and safe with someone and I don't know you well enough yet and you know to be quite frank I'm probably gonna burst into tears when I have sex with you because like I often have crygasms and I didn't want to drop that on you on the first day like I say this shit <laughs> right, my right. friends are I love horrified it. I love it. And I'm just like, well, no, but like if he can't – and, you know, I like recently I sort of said to someone, I kind of felt like an accessory. I I felt like an accessory. I felt like your sort of sexual energy was just steamrolling over mine. You weren't listening to my body. You weren't actually kind of like intuiting or like attuning to me, blah, blah, blah. Like I will say all of this stuff and I think like people – are just so not used to that level of like transparency and clear communication and having enough like you know self-esteem confidence boundaries self-worth that they're like constantly putting you know especially when it's in a heterodynamic they're putting the man's like feelings and ego first and I'm like do you really want to sign up to do that for the rest of your fucking life like I'm out to find like you know my fucking person and i'm not about to like you know invest a single bit more time in something unless they're able to meet me in this place
1: oh my god (laughs) i love this so much i do all of that i recommend all of that i make my clients try to do that although not everybody will and it's so so transformative and empowering and it's more than just boundaries boundaries are a huge test for sure they make you show your true colors for sure for sure um but like even just transparency of like this is what i'm looking for and expect we are taught to keep that hidden because it would freak someone out him usually mm-hmm. a him mm-hmm. would be freaked mm-hmm. out so like everything about the dating game is designed to trick or like Sort of massage the truth yes. so that you get another opportunity <laughs> with a guy who probably isn't a good fit for you. It's infuriating. Oh and yeah, oh my God, all of the speaking up, all of the things. I love it. And just watching, just watching what happens. Like when you say, yeah. uh, I have crygasms, and that seems like a lot right now. So let's just hold off on that. And like, how does he handle it? That gives you so much information. Or if you say, I want kids and I want them like yesterday, how does he handle that? That gives you so much information. Mm -hmm. It prevents a lot of time wasting. And I feel like there's something about like faking orgasms where, you know, Obviously, it's very normalized for a lot of women and femmes who do it. It just feels like it kind of gets the job done faster. You know, like it boosts his ego, makes him feel good. So then you don't have to do the emotional labor of caretaking, why it didn't work out, whatever it is. takes the pressure off. There's so many reasons people do it. But essentially what you're doing is you are training someone to give you bad sex. That is what you're doing. Literally. And if that's the person you plan on sleeping with for an extended period of time, doesn't really harm him much, definitely going to harm you in your sex life. That's what all yeah. of this is. When you show up and you pretend to be what he wants or what you perceive he wants or what you think men want, you are setting yourself up for a bad relationship. You are the one who gets harmed. It's yeah. It seems so simple, but it's so, so counter to everything we learned as women that we are supposed to make him comfortable and center his ego and his feelings yeah. and and just sort of pretend to be what other people want in the hopes that we'll get another yeah. chance to be near them.
0: Totally, and that's why, like, I really fucking love what you're about and your work and all of these, like, incredible pieces of wisdom that have been coming out with, like, your ugly project and just this whole concept of, like, all right, can you have enough self-worth and confidence and be liberated enough to become intentionally repellent to the yes. people that want to objectify you, disrespect you, like, you know, sexualize you, like, yeah. it, cross your boundaries, you know, yeah. um, and just you know, generally kind of. Yeah, yeah,
1: go oh, for go ahead. I was going to say, I think that it really freaks people out, actually. So yeah. instead of running Project Ugly as like an eight-week course, I'm going to break it up. At this point, one of the reasons is because I feel like it's a lot of pressure because people get really freaked out about thinking that they have to become yeah. ugly. Like that, just right yeah. there, they're like, "That's a lovely idea for you and other people," and I am not doing that, right? Like, it's <laughs> it's scary. Exactly. But in the content, in the syllabus, and everything, like most of it is not actually about beauty labor. That is. One element, one. I believe. About worthiness. Yeah, it's about everything you just named, right? It's like about self advocacy and boundaries. It's about holding men accountable. It's about not smiling at a sexist joke, right? Like it's about all, it's about breaking Mm. all of the rules that we learned make us likable as women and femmes or make us desirable. Not hot necessarily, although that can certainly be a part of it. Just what men prefer us to be, which includes people who do more domestic and emotional labor in our households, right? Like Mm -hmm. just that alone, it would make you repellent to be a person who demanded equal domestic labor from your partner. Mm -hmm. That is going to upset some people. And it's all of those things. It's about allowing yourself to not only step into it and say like, hey, it's okay. I deserve to take up equal space. But I deserve to know who's going to be pissed if I take up equal space so that I don't spend more time with them. Mm.
0: Yeah, fucking oath. Like, it just popped into my head another way that I did this sort of thing where I was, it wasn't about being hot, but it was about appealing and being more desirable to men, even just as a friend and like gaining respect and status. And it was like, I fully rejected my, um, femininity and was wanting to be a tomboy wanting to be one of the boys you know quote unquote yes. I would like act really broy and and yeah. you know smile at the sexist jokes I was trying mm-hmm. to like um I guess what what's the word when you're trying to not acclimate oh anyway I was trying to fit in basically yeah um, with the boys in order to gain acceptance and belonging yeah. um and then other other people's versions of that is to try to be like desirable and attractive to them and like get that yeah. attention and validation and they really get off on that you know because yeah. they've attached their sense of self-worth um you know, to totally. how much attention and validation they get from men, and and in one shape or yeah. form, we're both doing the same fucking thing. You know, we're just trying to we're trying to gain like some modicum of um respect and and influence, um and validation in a patriarchal
1: system. You know, yeah, <sighs> and a yeah. lot of it comes down to scarcity. So especially for people who are struggling with the dating space. The feeling of if you are attracted to men, want to date men, and that's your only option. (laughs) The feeling of one of the good ones, even though the bar is set so freaking low, there is a sense that there are so few good ones that you must do all this work to keep them. We are taught Mm. scarcity around good men. So Mm. with that in mind, It does kind of make sense to manipulate your way into a third, fourth, fifth date, right? Like if there's only a couple of good men out there and you might have caught one, you got to do it. However, I think, first of all, this totally misunderstands good men. Second of all, there actually is a pretty big abundance. The world is very big. It depends on where you are. Not every market is going to be big. I get that. It, It can totally be context dependent. But there are a lot of men out there doing really interesting, good, deep work. It's just that you won't meet them if you have filled your life with guys that you had to sort of suck up to by laughing at sexist Mm. jokes in order to Mm. fill that feeling of like, this tank must be filled now. Like there's urgency and scarcity and it makes us fill these tanks. And then our perception ends up being most men suck. So then we take that back out into the dating pool if a relationship ends or whatever and feel even more like we must hold on to one of those good men yeah. if we find one right like it makes us crazy and honestly mm. having higher standards benefits the entire pool the entire marketplace standards go up oh, just like with God. women wearing wearing more makeup or whatever like when a standard yeah. goes up for a good reason that's a pretty good thing to participate in so even just being like i refuse to partner with a man who won't do equal labor or who isn't in therapy mm. or who whatever it is like mm. yeah you are Making the pool smaller, and it makes sense that you would feel urgency and scarcity. We've all learned to feel those ways, but ultimately, men will figure it out. Totally, and I think like
0: that thing you said about raising the bar. I've just I've been having so many thoughts and conversations about this lately, where. I'm just realizing like holy shit the bar is low in terms of expectations of men and like and and really high in terms of expectations on us yeah. um and i think like like i was telling um I was talking to a client yesterday and saying to her, like, good fucking on you for telling that dude on the first date that, no, you're not going to give him a blowjob in the car and, and you know, (laughs) refusing to see him again when he tried to push it again after Uh saying no. I was like, thank you. Like, you are literally, not only are you, like, asserting your boundaries and you know in a really empowering way but you're doing a community service for other women out there because like this dude has obviously just gotten away with this to this point and if someone doesn't pull him up and call him out on it he's gonna keep fucking doing it to other women who do not have the boundaries and the confidence to say no and who are going to be fucking traumatized by having to go along with something and allow something and it's just like community service is the
1: perfect way to put it
0: right i feel like i'm constantly doing a community service like not just with my work but like in my personal life all the fucking time
1: i'm having conversations for
0: everyone
1: (laughs) i do too and you know it's interesting because like so when i went on antidepressants a few years ago, I gained, like, a, for me, a really significant amount of weight. And I kind of loved it. I felt like so confident and so badass about being able to be in the world, not as a, I mean, still very relatively thin, but for me, I felt like it was the first time I kind of like, Stepped out of a particular body size category, and I was yeah. like, This is awesome because I still get to <laughs> like myself, and now everyone gets to see it's not body size dependent. Like, it felt like a community service, it made me happy. Sometimes I want to shave <gasps> yes. my head again just to do the same thing. Like, yeah. I want people to, I just happen to like it. It's like a lion's mane right now, but like, there is <laughs> so much power in the more of us who do it. Speaking up and holding men accountable yeah. constantly, when I lived in New York, I would like turn to a man on the subway and say in a loud voice, that was your hand on my butt and i didn't like how that felt or whatever so that the women around me could hear it doesn't matter what yeah. he's going to like it just yeah. so other people were able to realize you could yeah. do that it gives other people permission when they see it and it means that like if you speak up to a guy about the blowjob thing and this is the first he's ever heard of a woman having boundaries or consent like he's probably going to re- react pretty poorly or his stuff is going to come out right it's scary and dangerous mm-hmm. However, if every woman he's ever hooked up with did it, we're looking at a different situation. So yeah. there is so much power in numbers. The more of us who do this stuff, who don't laugh along at, at, at jokes that are inappropriate or comments mm-hmm. or whatever, who like hold people accountable for their behaviors and disrespect and objectification, call it out for what it is. We make the world better and safer for everyone. It feels really good and empowering for ourselves, but like, this is a yeah. huge reason I do it. And yeah. It.
0: Oh, my God. Absolutely. Me too. And I do it because, well, I do it because I don't have a choice. That's just who I am and how I (laughs) (laughs) roll. I can't can't really like, but, but I do recognize that, you know, it's not as, and it's, and it's still, it's still hard for me in certain situations with certain sort of like less progressive or less conscious men, you know, it feels like pushing shit uphill and it's really uncomfortable, but I do it anyway because I'm committed to that. But like, I recognize that you know, this, it's not easy for everyone. In fact, sometimes it's nearly impossible. And and so I do it like uh, as well for the people that can't have yeah. that, you know, people really struggle yep. with communication in general, let alone boundaries, let alone, you know, um, yeah. anything to do with sex. Like we are just so deeply programmed to be people-pleasing yeah. and self-sacrificing and to kind of make ourselves um, – to to massage the other person's yeah. needs and stuff and change ourselves yeah. you know so I I understand you know that people like a lot of my clients are like oh my god I could never say that or I could never do that I'm like yeah. okay well let's find something that like is a little bit more manageable Absolutely. so that we're not completely encouraging this behavior from men um and so I totally. I do it because it's like I can, you know, I've done so much work. I am quite confident. I am very like assertive. And so
1: I'm going to fucking do it, you know, for the people that that can't do that yet. A lot of times with women who are dating my clients, I mean, I will have them craft a text days after they've had to process, Mm. unfreeze, recognize they were in a fawn response, didn't say anything, felt uncomfortable, blamed themselves for a little while, Mm. figured out that's not the move, right? Like it takes time. And then I will help them craft a text that just says, I didn't like how that night ended. I wish you wouldn't have pushed so hard or whatever, right? Like, Just so that it got sent so that they recognize that someone in every room they go in will protect them, even if they can't do it in the moment. Because a lot of times that is deep trauma shit. Like We go into survival mode and we can't speak up. It takes time and practice and time and practice to unlearn that and unthaw. But like, it starts with the safe things, the text a week later to say, Wish you wouldn't have done that. That made me uncomfortable. Mm,
0: yes, that's such good advice. Yeah, obviously sometimes in the moment you freeze, you go into font, you just yeah. don't know how to handle that. There's a lot of layers involved in that, sometimes trauma, sometimes lack of communication yeah. skills, self-worth. Totally. Afterwards, though, like we can all construct a text. You know, you can fucking send yeah. a text and immediately block the number if you
1: need to. Exactly. Like, yes. Really important. I- mm. <laughs> Even on apps where it's like you're about to unmatch them. But to have said the thing first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. it empowers you and, you know, you've done this community service in the world that the next yes. time he goes on a date, someone has said to him at least once what you did yeah. didn't feel okay. The
0: end. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You can be planting seeds. You can be kind of mm-hmm. laying, like tilling the earth for the next woman that comes along because, you know, she might be in an even less sort of... Yeah. M- empowered situation than you and so yeah it it very much is looking out for each other it's forcing the the sort of standards to start to raise you know I also like to do it on the flip side of that like raising the standards for um like how we treat people, I think all of the the ghosting and the like kind of lack Mm -hmm. of accountability, especially in the dating world. Like, you know, I always try to make a point of like being very human and being very like, you're a human, I'm a human. This is what's up. I'm not interested for these reasons, but like really, you know, lovely to meet you. I'm going to bounce out now rather than ghosting with zero explanation, making them fucking get all neurotic and make up all these things in their head. You know, like it's just not that fucking hard. And I think like, I think, yeah, it's re- something I'm really passionate about is just setting an example for how
1: you, yeah. you know, so operate. I did this stuff. workshop once in New York City on self-advocating, setting boundaries, and speaking up, which is so funny because this was like eight years ago. And now that I'm like making Project Ugly and like talking about it again, I'm like, D- I- how did I? I just took a little breather from this whole topic. But it, <laughs> it was something that I felt really strongly about For always, pretty much. But like what came up in that workshop over and over and over, we kept doing like role play stuff. And the women would be like, okay, I'm in the role and I'm just gonna like tell them how I feel about this, you know, pretend environment where I'm being hit on and pressured or whatever. And they would like turn to me and go, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, okay, well, what would you say if you did, if you knew for sure it was going to be received well? Like what's, I would call it the truthiest truth. Cause there's like, the truth is like, you don't want to hurt his feelings. The truth is uh maybe you're not attracted to him, but also you, like there's those can all be true, but there's a truthier truth underneath, which is like, I'm not interested or I wish you would leave or I don't like how you're talking to me or I just don't feel good around you, right? Like the truthiest truth is usually like a very short, concise sentence. And by giving women that cue, every single time they would turn back and it was like a four sentence, sorry, like a four word sentence every time. Mm. Because when you really get down to it, the only reason you don't know what to say is you're trying to manage their feelings and speak enough of your truth like, it's a navigation. It's a negotiation. No yeah. wonder it's complicated and you don't know what to say. If you yeah. just hold yourself accountable for your experience, it's actually pretty simple.
0: Yeah. I didn't yeah. like that. And it can be done in, like, a gentle, loving way, of course. Like you, Yeah. You know, but, but I think it's just important to be upfront about these things. And it just takes away the guesswork so that we're not all neurotic fucking... Totally. crazy is just being like oh my god like you know you invent so much shit in your head yeah. when you don't have an explanation from the other person yeah. so i think it's just really important to remember like right. we're all people doing our best and it's it's a loving yeah. thing to do to be up front even if that thing is to reject
1: them you know it's better yeah. to do that you know, anyway. To that end, I will say the difference between kind and nice here. So Mm. I believe everybody is sort of held to a standard of kindness. I don't know that we actually do a good job of meeting it, but there is a sort of cultural (laughs) standard to be kind. Um, But nice, nice is a gendered standard. Women are expected Mm. to be nice. We are expected to be pleasant and sugarcoat our words and apologize for taking up too much space. And like, right. It's like niceness is about centering someone else. Kindness is not so in this kind of situation a lot of times women are trying to be nice like they don't want to tell him that that what he's doing doesn't feel good because that wouldn't be nice. But it would actually be kind because it would make him better in bed ultimately, even if not with yeah. you. Right? Like the kind thing is often very different than the nice thing. And we are taught like I don't know about you, but nice is like the number one compliment I ever got. Nice, sweet, pretty, cute. Like these were the words I heard as a compliment as a kid like oh my god i really like jessie like she's so nice oh. if i hear that now i'm like i don't we have have we met i don't understand what you're saying i'm shame. not nice i do believe i'm kind but kind comes yeah. with empowerment right it comes with like a moral code to be human with another person like what you're saying that is kind to say i'm not interested or i'm feeling a friend vibe so i don't want us to go out again like that is not yeah. nice because it. It doesn't hold their experience as more important than yours, but it is kind. Mm, Oh, my God. That's such a cool –
0: I've actually never thought about that. Thanks for, yeah, differentiating between the two. yeah, nice is so much just appeasing, whereas kindness is like – it's it's like coming back to that community service. It's like holding yeah. ourselves and others to this standard of like doing what's more – you know, going to be more constructive, what's right, what's actually going to create positive change. Yeah. Yeah, so good. My English teacher in primary school, I remember the first day we started with her, she was like, okay, in my class, you are not allowed to use the words nice or good. They are Ooh. not words. They do not describe. Like she was just like they're fucking bullshit adjectives. Do that. I better. love that. <laughs> yeah, it was in I like grade that. three. I still remember it. I was like, fucking yeah, totally.
1: Like, surely you can come up with a better word. <laughs> I like that. Just do better too, right? It's like, yeah, those. That's fine, but can't, we can do better. We can do better. It's kind of like at this point, if someone was complimenting me on my appearance like if that was the if that was being hit on was like Mm -hmm. focused on objectifying me I just I don't even consider it a compliment anymore I'm like actually a little bit like really that's what you're getting out of this because I got a lot going on but like ultimately I'm not offended I just really want someone who can do better do better
0: yeah, I think I just like respect someone just that tiny bit less if the compliments they're yeah. giving me are just all appearance based. I'm like, okay, yeah. so like that I'm a hilarious absolute yeah. bitch, and that's what you're <laughs> exactly. taking away from this. I've got a nice body, or Aww. like my curly hair, like that's a yeah. fucking that's low hanging fruit, dude. Everyone yeah. loves girls. Get over it. Do better. Like, <laughs> hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a Labia Lounge tote, tea, togs, yep, you heard that right, I even have Labia Lounge bathers, or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh if fashion isn't your passion though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte, because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. And um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. Um, All right, cool. So in the interest of trying to Keep, keep. Well, we've already gone over time, but anyway, um, what are a couple of things that people can do as like small little actions or steps? I mean, we've peppered them throughout the episode, but just to yeah. tie a bow on it, you know, little action steps to embrace their ugliness, to be intentionally repellent to the people that we don't want to attract anyway, and just yeah. to start like unhooking from the patriarchal and gendered narratives and scripts and rules that we. usually quite unconsciously follow like how do we bring it into the consciousness how do we do like what are some easy things because like you were saying it's fucking terrifying for most people like the the name of project ugly and all of that's that's daunting that's confronting perhaps that's you know that's that's too too much like too uh we're expecting too much from people right off the bat how do we ease into this and like put little things in place in a more um approachable way (laughs) because not everyone's as
1: gung-ho as you and I. (laughs) Right. I'll give you one of my favorite tools, which the reason I do it this way and the reason this is my answer is because it's so context dependent. Like we were talking about before, if you do the same action from a totally different place, one might cost you a lot or have a big benefit and the other totally opposite, right? So what I recommend everybody do if they want to like play in this space a little bit is to make a list. Of some of the rules they follow in order to be, and you can fill in the blank here, like attractive, beautiful, hot, desirable, feminine, like whatever you want, but just you are following a set of rules using your appearance to either improve how people see you or curate how people see you or whatever. Make a list of them and then notice which ones. And by the way, if you're looking in your head to find rules, they almost always start with I can't or I have to. So (laughs) any thoughts in that space, whether it's beauty labor or behavioral, like um, I can't you know, uh, speak up when my boss says something that may be true or not true, but like those are the ones we're looking for. Jot a bunch of them down and then check in with yourself about each one and ask, is this worth it? Because some of them absolutely will be. Not speaking up to a sexist boss who could like ruin your career is probably a good call. Benefit very high, cost probably pretty low. Like, sure, maybe you feel shitty about self silencing, but it's going to be ultimately keep that rule, right? But you want to look for a couple of the rules where the cost is really high, the benefits really low. Meaning, I feel super anxious anytime I don't wear like you know foundation, concealer, mascara, whatever the thing might be. And I don't know that it's necessarily making me feel more confident. At this point, it just feels like I have to do it or else I will, you know, people will think I look sick and I'll feel really, really bad about myself. That might be one worth challenging. So start breaking the rules that have too high of a cost or too low of a benefit. You can do baby steps. It doesn't have to be all at once. Um, Recognize that like the point is not to stop wearing concealer or mascara because those things are bad, but just to break free from the power that this Mm. rule has over you. And then keep going if you enjoy it and it's empowering and you feel freer, which most people will because breaking rules that we have been beholden to almost always reveals that the rule was make-believe. And that the consequences, even if they're negative, like everybody at work says you look sick, you're also like, oh, well, I guess I can live with that. Like I'm here on the other side of work where everybody said I looked sick and tired. Like it's not as bad of a consequence as we feel in our bodies. Even if it's uncomfortable, we realize, oh, we have more resilience than we realized. Going into this, it builds confidence, it builds self trust, builds a lot of really good stuff. So Mm. if you like it, keep going, keep adding to the list, keep breaking the rules bit by bit, because there will always be some that you go, I don't even think I care. Like this rule sucks. This rule is costing me a lot. Like if it's expensive and it's costing me a lot, literally, if it's time consuming, it's costing me a lot of time. If it's taking up a huge amount of emotional or mental real estate in my life, and the payoff is, like, I guess I feel a little less anxious. Challenge that one.
0: Totally. Totally. And, yeah, it doesn't have to be cold turkey all at once, you know. You can just slowly dismantle it bit by bit and go for the, yeah. the small easy ones to start with and see how that goes. And it's yeah. you do acclimate to it, you know. Like, um, yeah. I mean, I remember when my mom finally stopped dyeing her hair, her
1: gray hair, and she just yeah. embraced the gray.
0: That was, you know. You used big to stuff. it.
1: Yeah, At first, um, it's weird. All transitions are weird. But I will also say that a lot of this stuff, the ones I've just named are about taking away beauty labor in in a lot of ways. But there's also so many rules that we follow in the behavioral space that I think those are also going to be high reward, low cost for the most part. But figure it out for the context for you because like everybody is different. Everybody's situation is different. If you can start telling people that you didn't think their sexist joke was funny, that might be a good one to start with. It builds the skill, it builds the resilience, it builds the confidence. And Mm -hmm. if you work or live or whatever in a place where that's literally not safe for you, do not break that one. Like Everybody gets to decide for themselves. And that's why I feel like starting with the inventory is so important.
0: Yeah. And and on that sort of behavioral side of things, like one that I've been talking to people about a fair bit lately, um, which again, another community service. Is like being an active bystander, so it doesn't even yeah. necessarily mean you've got to you've got to be standing up for yourself to your boss or you know whatever. Yeah. It, it can be, and because I think some people find it easier to do things and put their neck out for other people than themselves, yeah. um, because of this lack of self worth and confidence. Um, yeah. And so maybe this is a cool one that you can start, you know, trying. It's like if you see someone on. You know, public transport or in a communal space being harassed by a man or talked to in yeah. a way that, you know, is disrespectful. Or if you're out on a dance floor, like sort of, I'm, I'm often <laughs> noticing this sort of stuff, um, in like party dance floor spaces. Um, and there's like, there's like a woman being harassed or treated not, not super nice. You can, you don't even necessarily have to get in. Their crosshairs. You can literally just sort of position yourself so that you sit or stand next to the woman out of silent solidarity. You can get into the perpetrator's eye line and just kind of like disapprovingly shake your head. You know, ideally, if you're in a public space, like and it's safe because there's other people around, you can express, you know, that you don't support that person, and you can express that you support the the person being sort of victimized. Um, in subtle ways, or you can actually say something and be like, That's really inappropriate. You can't talk to someone like that, or she's not interested. Like often I'm advocating for like these poor women on the dance floor that's like, you know, getting harassed repeatedly by a guy they're clearly not interested in and I'll just go up to them and be like, Hey, like, are you okay? Are you are you down with this? Is he fucking is he bothering you? (laughs) And um and they'll be like, Oh yeah, like it's you know, it's fine though, like he's harmless, but like, you know, I'm a bit annoying, not interested. And I'm like, Well, that's not fucking harmless. Seriously. And so I'll like say something to the guy, or I'll go talk to the bouncers and I'll get him kicked yeah. out. You know, like fuck do it. Make a scene, make waves. Like yep. or if that's too daunting for you, which is totally understandable because not everyone's hardcore yep. like me. <laughs> um, just do little things like shake your head, go stand by the person, like give yeah. them some kind of company and solidarity, and just make sure they're okay. You know, like that's yeah. that's
1: something that we can be doing as well. I also want to name that letting yourself tap into anger is going to be one of those rules that we all have to break Mm. because anger is a evolutionary signal from our bodies that says a boundary has been violated or an injustice has just taken place, whether it's against us or it's against someone else. If you, especially as a girl, learned that anger is not appropriate or makes you unlikable or it won't be welcome or safe, like that is one of the first rules to start breaking, tapping into Mm. anger, because that allows you to notice, this is an injustice happening in front of me, like to me or to that girl. Like (laughs) you can't even really notice that you'll just blame yourself or her. If you haven't allowed yourself to tune into the fact that there is a signal in your body that says boundary violation, injustice. So anger is a superpower makes us come off as less likable, agreeable, nice, pleasant, attractive, all the things, but it is one of the most potent rules to break. I think one of the most impactful. Yes.
0: Get fierce. Get fierce, everyone. Um, fuck yeah. Well, this has been an absolutely stellar conversation. Thank you so much, this Jessie. This was so fun. <laughs> Love you. Um, and I'll pop links to your work in the show notes. Everyone, go follow Jesse. Um, I'm looking forward to whatever shape or form uh, Project Ugly takes when you're ready to release that into the world. Um, and, yeah, just really grateful for all your insights and just awesome fucking conversations.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome.
0: And that's it, darling hearts. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify and destigmatize with this year' podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freagraph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.